Okay, quick disclaimer at the top of the show. There's a couple parts in today's interview where you will hear some sirens in the background while the guest is talking. So if you are listening to this while you're driving or while you're on the run from the law, then sorry for the additional stress. Speaking of sirens and additional stress, boy, what a ridiculous week on Twitter. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has a take on Elon and what him buying the platform is going to mean. I have a couple thoughts of my own, which I will be sharing later today on Follow Friday, the newsletter. So if you're not already subscribed, you can go sign up for free at followfriday.substack.com. Before we get to this fabulous interview with journalist Danielle Friedman, I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash followfriday. Don't forget that if you're a patron, you have access to an extra long version of this interview featuring a bonus follow from Danielle. So thank you, patrons. I also want to thank our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Apprentice, which helps small and mid-sized businesses find great talent to work for them. Apprentice matches C-suite executives and business founders with college students that work on projects related to digital marketing, sales, data analytics, and executive assistance. If you're a C-level executive with fewer than 30 employees, you can get four weeks of free executive assistance thanks to our new partner, Apprentice. Connect with their matching team at this URL, Apprentice.company. Again, that's Apprentice.company. Okay, here's the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey! Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey! So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away. With no further delay. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, take a moment now and please follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Today on the show is award-winning journalist Danielle Friedman, whose work has appeared in the New York Times, NBC News, The Cut, and more. Her first book, which came out earlier this year, is called Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. You can find Danielle on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes, and on Twitter at D Friedman Writes. Danielle, welcome to Follow Friday. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So in your book, you trace women's fitness culture back to the 1960s. And each chapter is about these different people who started movements between then and now, sort of advancing the culture. Can you talk a little bit about where we are now with online fitness culture? Was there any one trailblazer that you found who brought women's fitness culture online? Mm, great question. Yes. Yeah, so we're currently living in a moment where you know fitness culture in general is sort of ubiquitous, all-consuming. Many people now consider fitness a way of life, and that 
you know, sort of translates and holds true for social media as well. There are many people that I could credit with helping to bring fitness online, but I'll just mention the one who I focus on in my book, who I think has had a tremendous impact on sort of the next frontier for fitness, and that is Jessamine Stanley. And she is the founder of The Underbelly. She is a fat, queer yoga practitioner and my book begins that the first chapter is titled Reduce and the last chapter is entitled Expand because that sort of charts the direction that our thinking about fitness is going in. Um, our thinking of like what a fit body mm-hmm. looks like, who fitness is for. And Jessamine has done and is doing a tremendous amount of work to increase body diversity and expand inclusiveness in fitness. Yeah. And this is something that I was thinking about, which is that in my head, when I think about online fitness culture, I think about people who are maybe posting gym selfies all the time, which obviously it's great if you're able to go to the gym. Working out is is great, but that can perpetuate body image issues that can possibly do more harm than good. So, so, you know, do you think that we are making progress? Do you think that as a culture, we are improving on that front overall? I think we're at the beginning of a very important and significant shift. Social media obviously can be such a minefield when it comes to body image. But I often think about something that the body acceptance activist Virgie Tovar told me while reporting my book, which is that you know, social media has given a voice to the people who have always been the majority in number, but not an influence. And so in my book, so much of what I explore was kind of the cultural conversation that was happening between pop culture, women's magazines, you know, sort of influencers of their day, and women, as far as how women believed they needed to look to be socially acceptable. And now, one way of looking at social media is that it's allowed for more of a two-way conversation. You know, there's a pushback. You don't have to go through all of the traditional channels to be visible. You can just start posting selfies and find an audience and build an audience that way. And I know it's it's easier said than done, but, you know, in spending years researching this history, that is a really significant shift. Definitely. Well, the book is called Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. But for now, let's find out who Danielle Friedman follows online. You can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com slash Danielle Friedman. It's Final Friday. Danielle, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, someone you just started following, and you said Katie Storino, who is on Instagram and TikTok at Katie Storino. Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E, and Storino is spelled S-T-U-R-I-N-O. Katie is a triple threat, maybe more. She's the author of a book called Body Talk, the host of a podcast called Boob Sweat, and the founder of a company called Mega Babe Beauty. So can you talk about what Katie does and, and why you started following her? Yes. I And I'm trying to think of how I even sort of found my way to Katie's accounts. I mean, I think the work that she does is very much in line with my interests. She, as you mentioned, she is a sort of triple or quadruple threat. But the way that she's really using her Instagram, especially right now, is for 
basically to promote body acceptance and size acceptance. And the recurring feature that she does that I love is something called Supersize the Look. Yes. And she takes these cool, beautiful fashions that are shown on thin bodies and she replicates it for her body. She lives in a larger body and she does it in such a smart and wonderful way. I, I have loved following her. Um, I happen to also have the opportunity to interview her not that long ago for a piece that I was doing about, well, it was actually about the return of low-rise jeans and, and the midriff, but I had stumbled on her account shortly before then. And, you know, I think there has been so much conversation over the past few years about similar to fitness um, for women, you know, like who fashion and who high fashion is for. And many people have begun to really highlight the dearth of flattering fashion for larger bodies. And she really, you know, she's kind of a living testament to the fact that fashion is for everyone. And just because you don't look like the very, narrow ideal, you know, that's promoted in fashion, usually you can still wear whatever you want and look great. Yeah. And and to your your point about supersize the look, part of this project, at least on her website, is that she has the original photo, like the publicity paparazzi photo of the famous person. And then she has, I think, herself wearing the recreated look and then below that she has links to all these different options if you wanted to recreate the look in your size you know here's like here's that sweater or something that looks pretty close to it which i think is just that's so brilliant right because that this is something that the internet has really made possible is the ability to emulate the things that you see these glamorous you know rich people wearing and and to to take on that fashion to, to be a little bit like them if that's what you want. Right. And it's it's also a really interesting play on that kind of us weekly trope of the who wore it better, you know, which yeah. she'll often say it's not about who wore it better. You know, for those of us who like grew up or came of age in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, I think when you think about it, that's such a oh, my God, it's such a cringy trope because <laughs> because you're literally like comparing, you know, one person's body to another. And I, I love that she's that she's just turning that trope on its head. So it sounds like you already you, you were already sort of primed to see eye to eye with Katie on some things. But is there anything that you found since you started following her that has really surprised you or changed your mind or just just nudged you in some direction? You know, I think it's interesting when she has responded to critics. You know, I think that I relate to this doing the work that I do. I've sort of unintentionally created almost like a social media bubble of fellow, you know, body positivity, body acceptance Mm -hmm. believers, and just, you know, empathetic souls, (laughs) because I tend to not, uh, you know, want to immerse myself in the more toxic aspects of social media. And so, you know, I think she just recently posted about sort of how she responds to the inevitable critics. I think, you know, she, she, she has just sort of provided a model in some ways for how to how to respond in a way that acknowledges that there's still a lot of sort of controversy around what she stands for while rising above at the same time. Yeah. And something else that I'll flag is that um, I was just looking at some of her Instagram videos. She is very open about things like panic attacks and, uh, you know, mental health, things like that, but things that are that intersect with body image issues and being a 
person who's posting stuff online and getting attacked, yes. maybe getting criticism for what you post. All, the, all these things, they kind of collide in a lot of ways for folks. And she's certainly not the only one doing this, but I really appreciate it when someone is very transparent about their mental health and being like, hey, this is not, even though I have a ton of followers on Instagram, this is the, the more difficult side of what it's like being in the public eye like this. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that video of hers because I temporarily forgotten that. But she I, I watched that entire post where she talked about, you know, exactly what it feels like for her to be experiencing a panic attack. And I think she, if I remember correctly, sort of called out to her, you know, followers to describe how they manage panic attacks. And I did, I found that just to be so comforting. You know, in general, I'm kind of a believer in that kind of personal transparency and using being open about experiences that might have been stigmatized in the past just to kind of help everybody feel less alone. But as someone who has, who has, you know, dealt with anxiety myself, I remember watching that and just feeling really deeply comforted by it. Well, that was Katie Storino, who is on Instagram and TikTok at Katie Storino. It's Final Friday. Danielle, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you laugh, and you said 70s Dinner Party, which is on Instagram at 70s Dinner Party. They're also on Twitter at 70s underscore party. And this is one of those follow recommendations that you have to see to believe. So if you are not driving right now, go ahead and pull up Instagram or Twitter. Go pull up 70s Dinner Party. And Danielle, could you uh, try to explain for the fine people out there what the hell are they looking at? <laughs> so, 70s Dinner Party features um, home entertainment guides, home cooking guides from primarily the 1970s that <laughs> that advertise um, recipes and concoctions, I think is the best word, um, that look both incredibly hilarious and also completely disgusting. So, <laughs> you know, there was an era, a quite long era, I think, in home entertainment. And actually, as I say this, this makes me, maybe this will be my next uh, history project. But around mid-century, heading into the, the 70s, when among certain communities, it was considered, you know, kind of fancy to display and present your food in these very creative shapes, often animals. And so the, the creator of this account has found some of the most outrageous and and offered them up uh, <laughs> for our benefit. I mean, yeah, it's things, there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of hot dogs involved, a lot of <laughs> unexpected combinations of sweet and savory, you know, a lot of food in the shapes of animals. And the captions are always like very dry. And I just love it. Yeah. So some examples of 70s dinner party recipes. We have macaroni pineapple toss, banana sardine boats, cold spaghetti creams, and Ugh. spunky shoulder <laughs> slices, just to name a few, which, yum, doesn't that sound like food, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> um did you grow up in a, in a family that would make stuff like this? Or, like, did you, or do you know people who, uh, you know, had this as part of their childhood when they were growing up? Ooh, great question. So I'm Jewish, and I feel like I did not see this as much among the Jewish homes I was attending for holidays and other gatherings and parties where this type of presentation might be warranted. I am from the South, and 
I'm from Atlanta, and I I feel like uh, it, it's not totally foreign to me. Like I might have encountered a, a beautiful hot dog <laughs> wheel, hot dog cheese wheel at some point. <laughs> it's funny because I, after years of following this account, I, I only recently looked up who is behind it, and it's a, a British book agent and publicist named Anna Palai. A few years ago, she published a book sort of that grew out of the accounts. But knowing that that many of these guides are British sort of makes explains a lot now, I think. I think yeah. uh, some of these recipes are very, very British in nature. I, I didn't want to like demean, you know, the United Kingdom, but I, I do feel like this is when I was looking at this, it, it had this there was this weird Britishness about a lot of the food. I think I think British food has a reputation for yes. being inedible and and, some, and sometimes <laughs> not not being especially, you know, like all the best British food is from countries that they invaded, right? And so yeah. I I do wonder if in a, in a, a big city like New York or London or a, like a big culinary city could someone reclaim this sort of recipe could, is there a future for for seventies dinner party food and <laughs> <laughs> some re- fancy restaurant? I uh, I'm not sure if that that would work. I think certainly as kitsch, like I you know I would be delighted if I were to walk into a party these days, <laughs> and even if you know I might not want to eat it. So when <laughs> you know if I saw an attempted recreation. But I think there's there's too much of a premium now on wanting food to taste good, you know. <laughs> like we're, <laughs> we're all there's we're living in a, a foodie culture, and there would have to be some major tweaks. Yeah. Okay. Well, d- different angle on it then. Uh, you, let's say you're having a party and you're having just your closest friends over, and the rule is you have to make and eat one of these <laughs> you have to you have to pick what one of these from the 70s dinner party instagram if you have it open in front of you is there any that seem less unappetizing that you'd be willing to take a chance on let's see here and by the way i mean i would i would definitely attend that party and i might need to throw that party that sounds amazing <laughs> please do and send me pictures <laughs> <laughs> you got it there's there's like a Easter themed rabbit that looks like some kind of coconut jelly bean concoction. That's that's not I mean, the rabbit itself looks devilish like, (laughs) you know, it might need to be exercised. But the food part looks pretty tasty. It looks like it would be some kind of like coconut cake with jelly beans. So that's that sounds all right. Yeah, I think I I think I could get that down. <laughs> I was cracking up at one in particular called the Smiling Dolphin, uh, which is tomato juice and orange juice mixed together. And then it says, peel a banana for the dolphin, make a slit for the mouth, slide in a tomato tongue, make the eyes from little bits of licorice, put the dolphin in the glass. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just imagining my the, the two things, the two foods my fiance hates the most are tomatoes and bananas. And so I feel like the engagement <laughs> would be off if I dare to make this. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a, a cruel and unusual form of punishment to <laughs> present this and ask somebody you love to, yeah. to eat most of these recipes. I also love this account, I should just say, because every now and then they will post something that sort of intersects with my beat of fitness history. And like, for example, they recently posted something, it looks like the the cover of a book that's entitled Cooking in the Nude, 
for golf lovers. <laughs> and it's just, it's like so random. There's a silhouette of, you know, a, a naked body. I've definitely reposted a lot of their stuff over the years, but I do love that. I've amassed a huge archival collection of mostly fitness materials myself, fitness artifacts. So this is sort of like one or two steps removed. And I I, I love it. I'm very grateful to uh, Anna for creating this. I, I just looked up, uh, I, I just ruined my Google search history by as I searching for cooking in the nude for golf lovers. <laughs> and I found this listing on Amazon. Combine your favorite game and your favorite partner with these sporty and suggestive romantic recipes. Dishes like Tease me and bogey kebabs prove golf is more delicious with a twosome. <laughs> oh my god. If your partner on the course is also the object of your culinary conquest, you won't want to take a mulligan on this one. This is, this is, I, I think you need to buy all of the cooking in the nude books, all of the cooking in the nude for <laughs> fill in the blank. It's a whole series that I think you need to add to your collection. You don't have to twist my arm. Yeah. <laughs> I will be I will be trying to track them down <laughs> as soon as we finish taping this. <laughs> All right. Well, that was 70s Dinner Party, which is on Instagram at 70s Dinner Party and on Twitter at 70s underscore party. We are going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Danielle Friedman, the author of Let's Get Physical, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshaped the World. Today's show is brought to you by Apprentice, which helps executives and entrepreneurs delegate tasks in digital marketing, sales, and project management. These apprentices are college students from top schools who go through special training so they can work in your business as marketing managers, sales representatives, and project specialists. If you're a C-level executive with fewer than 30 employees, you can get four weeks of free executive assistance thanks to our new partner, Apprentice. Connect with their matching team at this URL, Apprentice.company. Again, that's Apprentice.company. Today's show is brought to you in part by a podcast that I really enjoyed called Square Peg. It's about a vengeful one-eyed British curmudgeon on a decades-long mission to have his brother thrown in jail. In 2017, an American suburban dad named Rob Collins accidentally gets sucked into Frank's bizarre world and goes on a two-year quest to help him and to learn the truth. Rob tells Frank's story with curiosity, integrity, and most importantly, empathy. Make some tea on a rainy day and binge this show. Check it out at squarepegpodcast.com. I want to tell you about another podcast I love, and I think you're going to love it too. Upworthy Weekly, Upworthy's first podcast, is a lighthearted look at some of their most popular and engaging stories. Delivered to your podcast feed every Saturday, it's the perfect way to shake off the Monday to Friday news cycle with a refreshing dose of good news. Join Todd Perry, one of Upworthy's most prolific writers, and Allison Rosen, a podcaster, writer, and TV personality best known for the show Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, as they go through the week's best stories about humanity. Subscribe to Upworthy Weekly wherever you get your podcasts. It's Final Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Danielle, I asked you to tell me about someone who makes you think, and you said Laura McClaws Helms, who is on Instagram at Laura Kitty, and who writes a newsletter at laurakitty.substack.com. She's also the host of the podcast Size and Whispers. 
So Laura describes herself as a fashion and cultural historian. Could you explain what that means and what sort of stuff she shares online that you really like? So Laura is a little bit of a, of a renaissance woman, has kind of intrigued me from the time that I first discovered her account. She is a fashion and cultural historian, and she's also a writer and a podcast host and a journalist. You know, she's not associated with any one institution or publication. She has spoken before about how she has amassed a gigantic archive of vintage magazines and other, you know, fashion literature. And what she posts online is basically glimpses of that collection, along with a lot of video in tribute to actors, you know, directors, creatives, designers from times gone by. So at this point, you know, I've, it shouldn't be a huge surprise that I gravitated toward her account. What I, what I really love about her account and what does make me think is that she has this wonderful ability to kind of elevate the low and the B-list and the C-list to the high. I love a good high-low mix or, you know, I I love that she inspires me to kind of take a second look at movies or actors or culture from the past and reconsider its merits and, and its meaning. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I think in my work over the past few years, I've really been, I have found value in looking at cultural trends or activities that have been written off as silly or trivial, like, for example, aerobics, you know, and look to them as a source of, you know, sort of insight into where we were at a particular cultural moment. And her work has really been inspiring for me in that way. She also posts regular vintage like exercise clips, of which there are a huge trove to choose from. But again, so she she won my heart <laughs> with with that little um, thread as well. And when, when you say vintage exercise clips, you're referring to like VHS tapes that were sold usually with like a celebrity instructor on the on the cover. These are like the stereotypical. 80s tapes where everyone's wearing crazy pastel and neon colors. Yes, yes. It was a phenomenon unleashed by Jane Fonda. Um, yes, Jane Fonda. Her workout video in 1982 kicked off the trend. It went on to become one of the best-selling home videos of all time. It sold 17 million copies. And by the end wow. of the 80s, there were 500 workout videos being produced every year, including by, I mean, the celebrities who have produced workout videos is pretty hilarious. Everyone from Marky Mark, uh, when he still called himself that, to Angela Lansbury, (laughs) to Cher. Oh my gosh. um, To actually, (laughs) Laura the other day posted a clip of uh, Rita Moreno leading a aerobics class. Me! 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 Coming forward! Step, 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 touch! And her whole thing is that, and she's spoken about this too, is that she, it's very unlikely that you would see her posting about, you know, posting Jane Fonda leading an exercise class. It's more, she goes for the sort of the unexpected, you know, the the hidden, um, the kind of cultural mm-hmm. ephemera that, that has been largely forgotten, but that 
is interesting just because it was like so often, you know, in, in some cases, like it's weirdness and B-list sort of, and, and I'm not speaking about Rita Moreno here, but just in general, right. um, you know, it's B-list status is kind of what, what makes it feel a little bit refreshing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the thing is like sometimes we can look at you know, videos and, and photographs and old movies and things like that. And our instinct can be to laugh at like, wow, look how ridiculous they looked then. Uh, of course, we are in doing that damning ourselves to be laughed at by future generations. But so true. <laughs> um, so true. Is there a specific thing that Laura has posted that really shifted your perspective? This was actually an interview she gave where she talked about how she finds vintage retro clips of the usual suspects, the people that we associate with a particular era as being kind of boring. And just the value in surfacing some of these hidden figures and hidden characters. And so I really did keep that perspective in mind as I was researching my book which does resurface a lot of cultural figures who have been largely forgotten by history. Every year on the Super Bowl, she posts a clip of Debbie Reynolds in a musical act being tossed as a human football. And I love it. I just, <laughs> um, I would need to look up the exact credit. It's, it's from a film. But as someone who's not myself a big football, you know, viewer or a huge, a huge, um, like I don't pledge allegiance to any team or anything. <laughs> I always appreciate that. I, it's like my vibe, you know, <laughs> Debbie Reynolds as a human football singing and dancing feels feels like the kind of Super Bowl show I want to see. <laughs> I, I just I just Googled Debbie Reynolds human football. Apparently it's from a 1953 musical called I Love Melvin. Which, uh, not, not a great name, not, not a very interesting name, but no. <laughs> uh, one more thing about Laura is that she was written up in Vogue last year for her vintage wedding dress. It was designed by Elizabeth and David Emanuel, who are the same people who made Princess Diana's wedding dress and dressed a bunch of other celebrities. Is there a specific designer or a specific historical, you know, vintage look that you, you aspire to? Hmm. I've always been drawn to the 60s aesthetic. I love Mary Quant. I'm not really a miniskirt wearer myself, um, especially at this stage of my life, but she basically popularized the miniskirt. And um, I saw an amazing exhibit, a kind of retrospective on her career at um, the V&A Museum in London a few years ago. And she so kind of captured the and helped to fuel the swigging 60s aesthetic in London. I, I will say maybe not so much in the fashion, but I've always sort of tried to emulate that the 60s makeup look of the cat eye and the the paler, the paler lip. I just I love that look. Did you see that movie Last Night in Soho that came out last year? Mm, I um I haven't seen it yet because I'm not a big thriller or horror movie watcher, mm -hmm. but I, I heard it was excellent and I was sort of like I wished I could see it, but I, I uh, weighed the you know the fashion with the sleepless nights. And oh yeah, don't get me wrong. The last at least two thirds of that movie is extremely disturbing. But I yeah. feel like you might you might appreciate the first you know twenty thirty minutes. It's you know it's a, it's a fashion designer who loves the swinging sixties who gets transported back to the sixties. I mean like you know th there's a very nice non horror movie that could have been made with that. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
okay, that's maybe I'll check out like the first 30 minutes and see <laughs> see how I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. The first time you're scared, just turn it off. Yeah, but- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was Laura McClaws Helms, who is on Instagram at Laura Kitty. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Danielle, I asked you for someone who makes the internet a better place, and you said Jessamine Stanley, who is on Instagram and TikTok at my name is Jessamine. So that's my name is, and then her name is spelled J E S S A M Y N. She's also on Twitter at Jessamine Stan and on YouTube at Jessamine Stanley. So you mentioned her earlier in the uh, conversation when you were talking about online fitness pioneers, uh, but she's yet another extremely multi-talented person. She's an entrepreneur. She's an advocate. She's an author. She's the host of an advice podcast called Dear Jessamine. And she's the founder of a virtual yoga studio called The Underbelly Yoga. So <laughs> the, the floor is yours. Where, where do you want to start with her? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's funny, um, you know, as this, this theme kind of keeps coming up, because as I was thinking about who I who I follow and why I follow them, I follow all, you know, everyone I, I sort of currently choose to follow is somebody who who I'm like slightly obsessed with, you know, and, and love and admire, <laughs> which is probably my attempt to create this kind of, you know, lovely little bubble, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, um, a, a sort of supportive community. But yeah, um, I interviewed Jessamine for my book. As I mentioned at the beginning, I think she's doing really important work. And I kind of like nominated her for this category because I believe that she she really is making the world a better place. Well, the, that was actually an interesting slip there. The internet a better place and therefore the world a better place through her account. I interviewed Jessamine for my book and profiled her. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I think social media can be so toxic when it comes to fitness and body image and just the kind of images that we see. And so she is really kind of leading a charge to change and and to expand the images that we're, you know, that we're confronted with of, of what fitness can mean. She's also inspired many others to sort of post photos of themselves and buck this really deeply ingrained notion of what a fit body has to look like. Mm -hmm. Jessamine describes herself as fat. She's a woman of color. She's also queer. And for so much of women's fitness history, which I really saw firsthand through my research, you know, the type of body that was portrayed as aspirational was a thin white body. And, you know, it was sort of just accepted that that's what we should be striving for. And so her own story of how she started posting and the community that she found on Instagram is really interesting and pretty inspiring. I mean, she first came to yoga. Actually, it was an aunt, a favorite aunt took her to class. And so she was going to in-person classes. And then she reached Mm -hmm. a point where she couldn't really afford to go to the studio anymore. So she started practicing at home and she posted photos of herself on Instagram. This was kind of early days of Instagram to get some tips on how to improve her poses and her and her form. And she talks about how people would respond and say, wow, I didn't know a fat person could do yoga, you know, and she would be like, yeah, we can do all kinds of things. And (laughs) um, she found a really lovely community that way. And 
she's talked about how do you know practicing at home has given her kind of the freedom to feel like she can fall down and not feel self-conscious about it and so i really love what she's doing and i think she's really helping to usher in the shift that i mentioned in terms of how we think about fitness yeah. So, I mean, I, I mentioned that she runs a virtual yoga studio, The Underbelly. I don't know if you if you do yoga, but I've something that I found um, when I go to in-person classes is that the instructor can have a huge impact on just how you feel about the class. And it, it, the instructor is such an important yes. role for the class. Is she intentionally trying to be different in her instruction or is it more the representation of black and, and fat body types, you know, is, is, is the more important thing just the fact that, hey, all bodies are welcome in this sort of class? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that is extremely important. But she also, it's all kind of interconnected. She's doing it all. And she makes a really conscious effort in her teaching to create that welcoming environment. I loved this detail about her. She has a a tattoo on one of her arms, which is the English translation of, uh, it's the, the, the state motto for North Carolina where she lives, but it's to be rather than to seem. When you think about what that means when we're talking about fitness and, you know, why we work on our bodies, I think that's really meaningful. She also is really quick to point out that she doesn't consider herself a guru Mm. or she even has a hard time kind of embracing the fact that she's a teacher because she feels like a perpetual student. And I just think that kind of humility and approach can have such a positive impact on how accessible she seems to students. So... Yeah, she's really very mindful of how she's practicing and how she's using her influencer status. Absolutely, yeah. So you already talked about how Jessamine is making the internet a better place, but what is something that the rest of us can learn from her example? How can we make the internet a better place in the same way that she does? Hmm. Well, this might be kind of basic, but I mean, I think we can look to the kind of completely unfiltered view of herself that she shares and the way that she's been celebrated for it. I think it can be really scary, you know, to kind of make ourselves vulnerable in that way and and share mm-hmm. like literally <laughs> literally and un- and figuratively unfiltered photos of ourselves. But I think for women especially, there's just such a need to kind of hyper curate our feeds and the views of our life that we share with the world. But this also goes back to what we were saying about Katie Storino and mental health. I think that there's a lot of value in just in kind of honesty, you know, and showing our lives as they are. Very well said. Well, that was Jessamine Stanley, who is on Instagram and TikTok at my name is Jessamine. She's also on Twitter at Jessamine Stan and on YouTube at Jessamine Stanley. Danielle, thank you for sharing all these follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure that listeners know how to find you and your book online. Where, do you, where should people follow you? I am on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes, where I share my own collection of vintage archival fitness artifacts. I'm on Twitter at dfriedmanwrites. You can visit my website, danielle-friedman.com. And my book, Let's Get Physical, is available wherever books are sold. And you can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app. 
If you like this episode, then check out the past Follow Friday interviews with Tracy Thomas from The Stacks, author and video essayist Lindsay Ellis, and the comics curmudgeon writer Josh Frulinger. Follow Friday is a production of lightningpod.fm. Our theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan, and our social media producer is Sydney Groden. Special thanks to our Big Fry Patreon backers, John and Justin. Visit patreon.com slash followfriday for an extended-length version of this interview featuring a bonus follow recommendation from Danielle. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. I'll see you next Friday. One more time, thank you to our sponsor, Apprentice. On average, business executives that work with Apprentice save 60 hours a month in management, sales, and marketing tasks. Apprentices help you free your schedule by working on a range of projects from digital marketing to project management. And whatever you're starting in Q2, you can get four weeks of free executive assistance if you're a C-level executive with fewer than 30 employees. Connect with Apprentice's matching team today at this URL, apprentice.company. Again, that's apprentice.company.